You've heard of the shot herd around the world? Today, Dave Stahoviak and I talk about the slide herd around the world. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Welcome to this episode of Teaching in Higher Ed. This is the space where we explore the art and science of being more effective at facilitating learning. We also share ways to increase our personal productivity approaches so we can have more peace in our lives and be even more present for our students. It's time for us to time travel back to 2010. Some of you might remember headlines like this crossing newspapers across the country, and maybe even actually around the world, if I recall, U.S. Army makes the world's worst PowerPoint slide. We have met the em- <laughs> okay. we have met the enemy, and he is PowerPoint. Do you remember that one, Dave? I remember it. I remember seeing the, the slide, and you had to zoom in at full resolution in order to see all the details on the slide. Yes, and we'll put a a link to the slide in the show notes. But if you don't recall seeing it or or didn't hit your radar, there it was supposed to be a slide that described why developing a clear strategy in Afghanistan was so challenging. And instead of really getting the creators of said slide, the attention really focused on the complexity of that conflict, PowerPoint became in the crosshairs. And it ironically ended up coming into conflict with something that we, when we think about how to utilize PowerPoint or any visual aid soft presentation software well, is really it should make the message simpler to understand, not more complex. Yeah, we've got problems in higher ed for sure. It's not just the military or in the business world where there's problems. We've got problems in the classroom with how students respond to PowerPoint. We've got in our online modules when we try to build them with poorly designed PowerPoint and at academic conferences. Oh my goodness. And now because what's called the back channel, which is when we're at an event some kind of a hashtag that's around that event. So if it's 2015 SMC, the South Midwestern Conference, (laughs) I made that one up. (laughs) But people can be having a chat virtually while a presenter is up there droning on off of their PowerPoint or, or worse yet, reading to us straight from their paper. So we're certainly starting to see a lot bubble up about the challenge. In fact, Dave, I'm sure you might have seen, although you might not remember it, there was a Slate columnist who put together a bunch of tweets that students had lamented their their things about PowerPoint. And I'll just read a few of them. One student called at college girl humor (laughs) says, for class today, I'll be reading PowerPoint word for word, every professor everywhere. The next one, college basically consists of you spending thousands of dollars for a professor to point at a PowerPoint and read the bullets. And that was at Deli Nelly. I'm enjoying reading these. Do you want to take the next one? Sure. (laughs) Uh, Being a college professor would be easy. Read off a PowerPoint you made 10 years ago and give online quizzes with questions you Googled. Uh, here's another one. Seriously sick of all these PowerPoints. Anyone can be a professor. All you need to know how to do is run a PowerPoint. 
And I like the spelling of seriously. It's C S R S L Y. read that very Anything well. goes on Twitter. I don't want to not sor- cite our sources. That was Christopher May 17. <laughs> and from Black Superman, y'all ever sat in a class, copied every word down of PowerPoint, and still not know a damn thing the professor said that was no spelled K N O? Yes. Yes. Just for extra emphasis, right? So the research around PowerPoint isn't just anecdotal, although I will say upfront that it's mixed. We know that there's a problem. We know that the problem can be more easily solved when we're using PowerPoint appropriately. I'm just going to talk through a couple of the the studies that have shown up. First off, 25% of recommendations that are made in textbooks about how to use presentation software, only 25% were actually based on research. So if we were to pick up a book about how to use PowerPoint, it may or may not actually be based and grounded in what the research tells us. Studies will show that students will often prefer PowerPoint, but they are less likely to show up to class with a class that has a PowerPoint that has a lot of notes on it. I think we would all be that way with a faculty meeting. If, we're, if the notes were going to be good enough, everything in the PowerPoint was going to be contained there, we might be less likely to show up ourselves. Can I say something about that before sure. we go on to the next one? This is something I've run into with classes I've taught at the graduate level is you do hear a lot of, and you hear more and more complaining about death by PowerPoint and having to like watch, listen to someone read slides to you. And yet, when as a faculty member, if you choose to come into a classroom and not have detailed PowerPoints and not have something that people can take notes on, uh, I've gotten pushback from that on a number of occasions of like, well, where are all the detailed PowerPoints? Where are the notes? Where are the things I can print off in advance and follow along with what you're saying? And I'm like, uh, I don't do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and 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 people have mostly come around to that and realized the dynamic of how I do it in the classroom. But um, but but so so that's kind of like one of those things you, you can't have it both ways. And sometimes I think part of this is driven just by the culture of what's expected in a classroom. A lot of students do expect there to be slides and PowerPoint, even though I think we all agree that that's not always the most engaging way to uh, to educate people. Oh, yeah. It allows for a lot of apathy and it doesn't really activate the brain. And so they can just sit there and check out. And but it's in everyone's comfort zone. Provided, so. Yeah, but yeah. certainly it can be a cultural thing. And so I think it goes back to what Stephen Brookfield recommended way back in episode 15, which is for us to be more transparent in why we're approaching teaching the way we're doing. He's not the only one that has mentioned that, but I, that was a big piece of what I took away from getting to hear, hear him back no, then. I, I say that, and of course, I don't have any research to back that up, but, <laughs> but that is just my own personal experience. Oh, having, absolutely. Have, run into that. Have, have you run into that with students oh, too? Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Although if, if you start out the conversation with, I guess most of my 18 to 22 year olds, they are tired of being read to. So they kind of get it. But then the pushback usually comes when the first exam comes and they go, wait a second, you didn't feed me everything that I needed. Wait, I was supposed to be like reading and paying attention along the way? Yes, 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 yes. But I do think being transparent about how we're teaching helps. So the, the PowerPoint in another study providing it resulted in either having no impact on students' test scores or in having slightly worse exam scores though the type of slides that were used in that particular study were the traditional kind with a lot of text and graphics. Students do show a preference for visual PowerPoints. And the visuals, like we'll talk about later on, they do need to be tied to the content, though. It's not just like, isn't this a pretty clip art that I found? It actually needs to be tied. By the way, speaking side note on clip art, did you hear that Microsoft is doing away with clip art? 
I did not hear that. No. Yeah. I think that's going to be something worth celebrating. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> good, good news for audiences everywhere. So Dave and I have four recommendations on today's episode around how to make our PowerPoints be not the slide that gets heard around the world. And the first one is, Dave? Put less on your slides and use relevant visuals. That was not the number. <laughs> that was awesome, though. Uh, use PowerPoint for its intended purpose to enhance your presentation, not to deliver it. You read really well. well the, the, the notes are not numbered. Ironically, they're bullet pointed. <laughs> so... <laughs> We'll spare everyone the behind the scenes. You can probably hear it in my voice. If you've been listening to the show for a while, you know, this is not my normal voice. So I'm down with a little bit of a cold. And this is Dave propping me up saying, don't skip an episode for a week. You can do it. (laughs) Well, this (laughs) so here we are. (laughs) So we'll just flip number one and number two, right? Oh, I didn't realize that's where you were. Yeah. Oh, I would have just went with it. there There we go. So um, number one, use PowerPoint for its intended purpose to enhance your presentation, not to deliver it. So in this case, there's a great Gar Reynolds quote, and he talks about the unique contribution that slides have to a presentation. He describes it as follows. Slides are slides. Documents are documents. They aren't the same thing. Attempting to merge them result in what I call the slidument. The creation of the slidement stems from a desire to save time. People think they're being efficient, a kind of kill two birds with one stone approach. Or, uh, in Japanese, I do not speak Japanese, but Gar Reynolds does. Unfortunately, unless you're a bird, the only thing, quote, killed is effective communication. Intentions are good, but results are bad. This attempt to save time reminds me of a more fitting Japanese proverb, chase two hairs and get none. So we don't want to try to have our slides be a document. We don't want our documents to be slides. We want to have slides enhance the presentation. And as we'll show you in a little bit, That means we don't have to entirely use the PowerPoint throughout the entire 50-minute, hour 15 class. So it it can be used to enhance parts of it and then be put on the back seat for other parts. All right, Dave, number two, you're so good at this one. Oh, can I say something about that? Oh, sure, of course. course. This is a huge, huge obstacle in so many of the corporate customers that we have because there is such this drive for efficiency of create create something once use it for the PowerPoint, use it for the archive version. And there's just so many reasons and, and Reynolds captures this beautifully, but why you, you just don't want to use that for both. You, you just kill, you kill um, the ability for people to get a clear message during a presentation. Cause most often the document is written for the, the PowerPoint's written for the documentation for the archive. Mm-hmm. And I go to some of these meetings and I see, I watch people just let their eyes glaze over at all these detailed notes on slides and no one reads that stuff. And the message is often very incoherent. And And you and I have both seen the same thing in higher ed classrooms too, where, um, you know, and that quote, the one of, I created something 10 years ago earlier, that rings true. I've, yeah. I've seen it happen and where someone, you know, asks a question on a slide and the professor isn't even really that knowledgeable about it on the slide because it's something they wrote four years ago and they haven't reviewed it recently. And so it's just a, it's just not the right dynamic for what PowerPoint and all the other visual software is intended to do. Number two. Number two, 
Put less on your slides and use relevant visuals. So Gar Reynolds recommends each slide should only contain one idea. And that's really a challenge because we kind of are have this idea of, gosh, the three or four ideas we might want to put together on a slide. But it's really easy then to kind of break it up after you've maybe put together a list of bullets. You take each bullet, you take the bullet away, and you make it into just a single slide that has a graphic that's related to it <laughs> and that just encompasses one idea. I'm not sure if we mentioned this on the show before, but I work with the Dale Carnegie Training Organization, and we have a rule at Dale Carnegie called the 10-second rule when we're coaching people on their presentation skills. The 10-second rule is if the audience doesn't get the the message of the slide in 10 seconds, it's too complicated. There there shouldn't be multiple bullet points and paragraphs. Um, It should be either, a like you just said, a, a visual that sends a message or a very, very short phrase or maybe even a word or two. And that's, that's what you really want to get across. You want to make it simple. And the real message comes from the presenter. The presenter is the person who is communicating the message or the instructor or the faculty member, whatever the case is. It doesn't come from primarily the slide. The slide's just there to support it. And the 10 seconds that Dave is referring to is if you weren't talking and I just looked at your slides for me to be able to process it. That doesn't mean that you're only going to spend 10 seconds on that slide right. and go on to the next one. But it's just that... The rest of the content is coming out of your mouth, not necessarily needing to be up on the slide itself. Yeah. And, and even if you found a way to make a complex slide really interesting, if it takes more than 10 seconds for someone to understand it, they're spending all that time trying to process the slide and not listening to you as yes. a faculty member, yes. which is where you really want people to be listening to is, is focused on. Otherwise, Otherwise, why not just send out the slides and cancel class? Like, what's the value then of having a faculty member in a classroom in a collaborative learning environment? So, um, so I think that that's a real challenge for all of us who use PowerPoint or other visual aids to really think through, is this enhancing my message or am I trying to get this to be the message because I'm not willing to put forth the work and the effort to communicate it verbally or interactively or with dynamics or, or, or dialogue in the classroom like so many of your episodes and guests have pointed out, Bonnie. And that's what the research shows too. And Dave, I'm glad you brought this up that when we're trying to read a slide, the words, and we're trying to listen, one of those things is going to suffer. And so you're actually slowing down someone's ability to process. You're hindering it. Then if you keep the real short phrase, one word, a short phrase, and then the visual, and then they get to pay attention to what you're saying. And that visual, what's on the screen, enhances what you're saying instead of detracting from it. Number three. Number three, change your media focus at regular intervals. So we know that time, our attention spans are not that long. And so what we can do is have the PowerPoint actually bring people's attention back by not using it the entire time. And one of the really great tricks is that when a PowerPoint slide, and by the way, this works on Keynote too, when it is showing, so you've gone to view slideshow and it's actually showing on the screen, you press the B key and it blanks out the screen. And I love using this trick for a number of reasons. First of all, it's hysterical to do because if you know what you're doing and you press the B key, every single eye in the room will go on you. So you've shifted the focus. 
And that does tend to bring people back in. So we, we've shifted it from the PowerPoint. Now everybody's looking at you. You press the B key again, it toggles it back on. Everyone looks back at the PowerPoint. You can play little games with people if they don't know what you're doing. <laughs> Watch their little eyeballs go back and forth like they're watching a so tennis funny. match. But that really is a healthy thing to do to switch the focus because, oh, now I'm I'm back engaged. I, we're doing something different. Oh, now we're back there. So the other thing I like about using the B key is from a technical standpoint, your PowerPoint is still running. So your projector stays on. Because if you were actually to shut off the PowerPoint and not be using it for a while, you might find that your the projector would go to sleep on you. So that's the nice thing. You press the B key. It's like you've turned it off essentially because there's no light coming out of the projector. But if you hold your hand up there, it's still ready to burst the light right back up. So it's a really good trick. By the way, the W key turns it white. So in that case, you would still have the white bright light. And if you needed to write on the whiteboard, if you were projecting onto a whiteboard, that would work for you too. Or shadow puppets. Yeah, you could do some shadow hey, puppets. You never yeah, know. I you never, never got know. good at that, but you certainly could. Most of the wireless presenters now also have a button on them that allows for you to blink out the screen. Does the same thing as the B key mm-hmm. does if you're in show mode um, on any of those pieces of software. So it's that's a really good tool to get around the room and to dialogue with people and to have conversation is you don't have to be stuck at your keyboard to do that. So the next recommendation I'm going to make is a Mac specific one, but I'm going to ask Dave to Google to see if there's something like this for Windows so we can recommend it. So on the Mac, there is an app called Caffeine, and it solves another problem of your Mac falling asleep. I don't know if that happens to you, but I'll be right in the middle of something. All of a sudden, my Mac goes to sleep, and then the projector starts to have that, I'm not connected to anything blue screen that comes up. So Caffeine just shows up in your menu bar in the top right-hand corner, And you just press the little caffeine button, one click, and it'll make it so that your Mac will not fall asleep. It's absolutely fantastic. And Dave might have found one for Windows. Well, I see one for Linux. There is an article on caffeine for Windows alternatives. So I have a feeling there's probably one here that might be helpful. Um, I'll send you the link so you can put it in the show notes. Okay, sounds perfect. So we are now on to number four, our final recommendation for how to be better at PowerPoint and not have your slide heard around the world. Employ a non-linear slide structure. So we tend to think about our slides in order from slide one to slide however many, and that they're going to come in a sequential order. Instead, you might think about a couple of ways you could think differently about PowerPoint. One would be that you could have a slide that was essentially a table of contents slide. So if you had 20 topics or so that in a, in a longer type session, students may need to have additional clarification on, or you find these are some frequently asked questions, you could click on that table of contents, go to that section, and then have a link on that slide that takes you back to a table of contents. This sounds like a hard thing to do, but it's actually quite easy. You would highlight the text, like you type up your table of contents, for example, highlight the text, and insert a hyperlink. But instead of a hyperlink that takes you somewhere out on the web, it's a hyperlink that links you to another slide in your presentation. So we don't have to think about linear slides. This really frees us up to 
approach the design of a PowerPoint in a lot of different ways. So the one example I gave you is a table of contents or frequently asked questions as one way of approaching your slide design. Another way might be a choose your own adventure type. When I was young, we used to love those choose your own adventure books and you'd get to the bottom of a page and it would say, if you want to go down by the river, turn to page 36. And if you'd rather go back up on the mountains, turn to page 42. And depending on what you chose would depend on how things ended. And there's all sorts of applications. Those of you in the sciences, in the humanities, and there's all kinds of ways we could think about designing a PowerPoint, or by the way, an online module as a choose your own adventure using this same thing. You could draw a couple of arrows at the bottom, depending on what someone chose, they click on that and it takes them to a different slide that you have designed. So I'm going to recommend too, by the way, if you didn't listen to episode 25 regarding large classes with Chrissy Spencer, you go back and listen to that one because she talks about that her students, she goes through these cases and she's got slides set up because she knows she's going to get a question. And students are always like, how did she know I was going to ask that? And she just happens to have a slide for that. So this table of content approach would help you navigate that pretty quick too. It's a great way to do it. And I have another suggestion on how to do this fun, even outside of like the PowerPoint keynote way is I've done classes before and I regularly do a class that's a, a Saturday, most of the day class with graduate students. It's a class on, it's a graduate course on education and training. And I create a mind map. And so I actually create that in MindNode software and I just PDF it and then I display it on the screen and it is very much a choose your own adventure. There are probably 30 different topics on there, all of which are relevant to the class, all of which I am ready to talk about if people want to. And they select what the class is going to be that day of, because, you know, we have other places in the class where the things that we have to hit on are, are hit on. So this is, this is provides a little more space to be able to hit on some of the practical things of implementing training and learning in organizations. And so um, one way I'll do that is I'll, uh, some of the rooms at, where I teach uh, have where the screen, if you pull up the screen, there's a dry erase board behind it. Mm -hmm. So I'll just project it on the dry erase board and have people go up with dry erase markers at the beginning of the class and hash mark which ones they want to talk about. And the ones that have a lot of hash marks or maybe someone puts, I'll also have them put a star of like, what's the one you really want us to talk about? Um, so I'll try to hit on all those during the class and they drive the class entirely. And it's it's one document for the whole class. But it's just it's a it's just a a um, it's an opportunity to just frame where they could go, but they actually choose where they want to go based on their professional interests and what's going to be most relevant to them in their their the practical application of their degree. That is so helpful to be able to give them that ability to drive, especially when we get to the master's level where they do know more about the content and therefore it's going to be that much more relevant and they can see the real world connection sometimes better than our typical 18 to 22 year old might be able to. So that's a really motivating factor for a student. And and many of them do plan to go on to teach. And I always do make the point, this is not necessarily the dynamic to use in a classroom with 18 to 22 year olds. If you're teaching in more of a traditional age, you know, at an undergraduate population that may not work as well. But when you have really highly motivated graduate students um, who are there, and in many cases, that's that's one of the classes they really took the program for. That can be a really great way to approach it. I always recommend having some kind of a backup in case your technology isn't working that particular day. So if I'm going to do a workshop of some kind, I always have a printout of my slides and I'll print them nine slides per page so that they're not 
filling up an entire page, but but little ones. And then I number those. And if you number those, it's going to be what that slide number is, of course. And then while your slideshow is running, assuming it's working, by the way, you can just press number five and hit enter on your keyboard and it'll take you right to slide five. You hit 18 on your keyboard, hit enter, and it'll take you right to slide 18. So that's another way you could actually just skip it back and forth to slides and if someone had a question back earlier, you, instead of having to go back, 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 you can just type in that slide number if you have a printout that indicates your slide numbers. Now, candidly, I don't do that for my everyday classes, but I always have it where my PowerPoint slides are stored on Dropbox. And I did have a situation the other day where the projector was not working in my classroom and I had to shift the gear. So I shifted the gears and brought it up on Dropbox. I could see it on my I think I had my iPhone or something like that. The students couldn't see it, but then I just, I, I don't even call attention to it, but then we just start working on the whiteboard a little bit more that day. And I act like that's how we planned it. And they never know the difference. I think there's a certain level of professionalism that comes with that. that oh, we yeah. don't Just, ah, oh, the projector doesn't work again. You know, I just, I don't think that's a good thing even to model for our students. Well, and a related point to this is I will also often get feedback or get questions from a class of why don't you post the slides in advance up on the LMS or on the class website? And, you know, what class, what slides are you going to use tonight? Where are the notes? And my answer is, well, I don't know. Because depending on how the class goes, I may not use a whole section of slides. Mm -hmm. I may only use the first four slides. If we didn't get in a great conversation about one particular topic in the course, I'd rather explore that in depth than try to hit on like the eight, the eight things that, you know, I mean, obviously staying true to the learning objectives, but I'd much rather go into one or two things in depth if the examples are good, if the dialogue's good. So if I send out the slides in advance or hand out, give a handout to people or post them, then I'm tied to that. Then I have, mm-hmm. and then it's like, oh, if you didn't hit that slide, well, you skipped this slide. <laughs> we well, didn't get our money's worth. <laughs> <laughs> like that's my prerogative because I made a decision as a faculty member that that wasn't relevant to the conversation of who's showing up in the classroom today and what's what's important for us to dialogue about. And maybe the slide that I skipped, I was able to incorporate in the conversation earlier. So I just think that, I'm not saying never give slides in advance or don't post them, but I think just just thinking through some of the strategy of, you know, how you do that and 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 kind of getting outside the box of how we normally handle slides and posting slides is is helpful for all of us to just think through how we're using that from a strategic standpoint. And I would say, and this is the final thought before we move on to the recommendations, just being able to get around really comfortably on your computer helps. So if you're not familiar with this shortcut, this is something everyone should know on a Windows computer, it's alt tab, holding down your alt key and pressing tab. And on a Mac, it's a command key tab. And that's going to cycle you through any applications that are running. So let's suppose I have now running PowerPoint. And I also have running my web browser because I'm going to show a video on YouTube or something of that nature. And so I want to be able to just switch back and forth from the full screen viewing slideshow to my web browser. The first time I do it, it sort of locks it in. So the next time I do alt tab, they're right next to each other. And I don't have to go alt tab, 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 tab. I don't have to go over the 47 applications that are running to get to that one before I let go of the alt key or the command key. And and that's just a really nice, smooth thing to be able to switch from a PowerPoint to a web browser and then back again. And back in episode 15, 
Our guest, Stephen Brookfield, recommended the website todaysmeet.com. And todaysmeet.com relies on the students having laptops or at least some sort of smart device where they can access a browser. I just used it yesterday in my classes and they were doing some research. You might recall from past episodes, I don't, I typically don't have laptops in the classroom. We, we put our devices away and we engage with each other because it's a blended learning format. So they get to be online in other cases. But in this particular case, bring your laptops because we're actually going to show you how to do some research using some tools. We're going to get ready to write our market analysis. And so bring it. And they all started going out and doing some research for their market analysis and posting it on today's meet. And then I could click on a one single button to bring up the transcript and I could easily copy and paste it into an email for them to be able to leverage later on. So that was just a really nice, uh, is an easy tool. I, I broke my own rule and used it for the first time <laughs> in the class. I mean, I, I guess I had seen it a little bit, but it was just so easy to use. I didn't have to create an account. I just set up a room. It's good for the next hour. I mean, it was really a nice, seamless experience. If you want to set up an account, of course you can. But yeah, it was real nice. So this is the point in the show in which we give recommendations. And I want to just quickly mention that we had recommended previously haikudeck.com. And so that's not officially my recommendation. But if you want something that really steers you toward building very simple PowerPoints that are enhanced with some sort of a visual, it'll allow you to search for Creative Commons visuals and it'll cite them for you. So it takes away all the effort as far as citing your images and giving credit where credit is due. But my recommendation is another technology tool I've been trying out. I blogged about it this week, but in case you missed it, I've been trying out a new communications tool. It's getting really popular in the business world. It's called Slack. It's a little bit challenging to describe at first because it's a communication tool unlike email but also unlike text messaging, it's sort of if those two got together and had a little communication baby and the <laughs> communication baby is called Slack. And so you can go in there and create channels. So I'm doing it for a class where they're working on some different service learning projects and there's a channel for each one of those. We're going to be doing a movie night coming up at our house. So I've got a channel for the movie night. It keeps the conversation steered towards specific topics, allows you to instantly drag a file on there and share it, drag a photo on there and share it. And I'm finding it a nice mix. I only tried it with one class and it's class of students I I mostly know from prior classes and then are my juniors and seniors. So I, I know know the maturity level is a little bit higher than some of my earlier students. So it was, I thought it was a good class to experiment on. And I like it because it has a good mix. I think I don't like giving them my cell phone number. I'm not necessarily inclined to get that many texts at all hours, but it's kind of like that in the sense of if I want to, I can see on my phone, there's some kind of message that's come up there. And they like that. I mean, they like that more immediate feedback with each other. They have an exam this evening. So they're all studying up there. Does anyone know where we can find this? And um, I had put some exam study hints up there too. Yeah, I've heard great things about Slack. There's so many startups and small businesses that are using Slack for uh, virtual communication and, and teams. And it, it's powerful. I'm using it with my TA too, by the way. And so I've used an integration with an online project management system called Asana because with my TA, I want to see when she does stuff. Mm. And so we've set up, I mean, and she, my gosh, she adapted to it so quickly. She's on board. So in Asana, I said, Hey, can you put in there whenever these students are going to be uploading things so you can get that all taken care of? And it's nice. So I can kind of know where she's at and she can communicate with me. 
Well, your your recommendation is cross platform. Mine is not, um, and I know we have a lot of Mac fans in the in the audience here. So um, so forgive forgive me if you're a PC fan, but um, the the two recommendations I have, I think one of them we've mentioned before, Bonnie, and one of them we haven't. Um, one, and this is all in kind of in the realm of how to make things simpler and. Uh, maybe not have as many slides necessarily. Uh, one recommendation is an app that's on the Mac App Store called Tapes, and what it is is screencast sharing. Uh, if you install Tapes on your desktop on your computer, what you can do is you just click a button in your menu bar. You can do up to a three-minute screencast, and as soon as you're done with it, which records your audio and everything you're doing on your screen, and as soon as you're done with it, it automatically uploads the video to their service, copies and pay, or, and it copies the link to your clipboard. So you can just paste it right into an email. So if you need to show someone like how to do a login or something quick on a computer, it's really great for that stuff. Um, there is a limit of how many minutes you can use a month, but I know you've hit it before, Bonnie. I have not. Um, so it's a great service and system for that. And then the other option, which is far more powerful, if you're doing screencasts, if you're wanting to do something that's off outside of the classroom, is a product called ScreenFlow. They've just had a new version come out, ScreenFlow 5. Um, that's also on the Mac App Store. It is the the gold standard as far as being able to um, capture things going on on your computer if you have a Mac and doing audio and screencasting. And those are and you can export it lots of different ways to upload it to your LMS or social media or whatever you're utilizing in order to interact with students. So uh, those two good recommendations as far as getting um, screencasts to work for you if that's part of your uh, your syllabus and uh, classroom strategy. There was an article, which I can't remember if it was the Chronicle or Stanford's uh, faculty development, but I'll find it and I'll post a link to this in the show notes about the effectiveness of verbal feedback or, or some kind of more than the red pen. I remember that in the title, so I'll find it and send it out. But if you are not a Mac user, snag it. You can do a quick video Capture just like Dave described for tapes or screen flow. It's the same exact thing where you can see what's happening on your screen. You could be giving the students a feedback. I do this through a rubric. I talk through a rubric using Snagit. Snagit is multi-platform. And then they have a button now, one click, and you can save it to Google Drive. Nice. And that's a nice option because I kept hitting the limit on tapes. So I'm kind of I'm done with tapes. I, mm. I didn't know that. Uh, I didn't know Snagit was cross cross platform. I use Snagit all the time mm. for like editing videos and resizing or editing uh, photos and resizing graphics and all that stuff. It's yeah. it's a fabulous program for that kind of stuff. You don't know what you're missing too, because actually the Windows people have a lot more features than we have, so oh. we just have to wait to catch up with them. But it's a wonderful product. TechSmith has been good to me for more than a decade. <laughs> excellent, excellent company, and they they develop excellent products. Dave, I want to not end the episode before thanking you for being on another episode of Teaching in Higher Ed. Always a pleasure. Thanks. And would you tell people how they could give us feedback on this episode? Yeah, absolutely. Go to teachinginhighered.com slash 33 because this is episode number 33. If you have feedback for the show in general, that's at teachinginhighered.com slash feedback. And always, if you haven't subscribe to the weekly update. It's one article on teaching and product or productivity and the show notes from the podcast. And that could be in your inbox once a week by subscribing at teachinginhighered.com slash subscribe. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.